you can either choose to succeed and push through whatever is holding you back or you, you stop and you die. <laughs> That's unfortunately the only thing. I mean, a lot of, a lot of people like me don't get to where we want to be because we don't have the ability to respond. And I'm hoping that by sharing my message, I can inspire other people that you can't judge us by how we look, but when you actually really get to know us and hopefully the people that are listening to this, maybe I can resonate. If I even have to just resonate with one of you, we can get through this if we learn how to respond. And then if we learn to grow and learn to push through these struggles, there is an immense amount of potential that we can unlock. Welcome to the Home Service Success Podcast, your resource for growing your HVAC, plumbing, electrical, and residential contracting business through mindset development, sales, and marketing strategy. We have an awesome guest for you today. He started his own electrical business at 22 and sold it at 30. While doing sales, he consistently stayed at an 80% close ratio with a sales ticket of $2,800. By the way, the average is a 40% close rate at under $1,000 per ticket. So that's pretty impressive. If you're a sales-minded uh, individual at a home service company, this podcast is going to be right up your alley. Our guest today also has a passion for helping the neurodivergent community, and we'll get into his story there as well. So without further ado, allow me to introduce Joseph Lucani a service success coach with servicemvp.com. Welcome, Joe. Thank you so much for having me, Davis. I really appreciate being here. I love the show. Thank you. And we appreciate having you here and excited to share your story. You have such a unique story um, and you started at such a young age at 14 in this industry and you're still so young and have so much potential. So I can't wait to get into kind of the nitty gritty on what made you so successful as a um, as a salesperson, and then just also as a human being in general. So this is going to be well, great. I truly hope that by revealing my story and going through where I've been and where I am now, hopefully it can inspire other people to really boost them up as well. I really hope that people can learn from this. I think they will. So let's start with, you know, you're 14 years old. Where are you at in life at that point? What got you into the trades? What inspired you to go to trade school and become an electrician? So not to jump the gun on, you know, how my, how I'm wired and whatnot, cause that's going to come a little bit later, but I didn't know for a fact that I was going to be cut out for a lot of things. I thought that my, I had to capitalize on what I was good at and what I was good at was fixing things. So I said, I'm going to be an electrician. Why? Boring story, but I literally just walked up to my dad at 14 years old and said, sir, what should I do? And he literally looked me up and down from toe to shoulder and said, you're going to be an electrician. And I said, yes, sir. And that was literally it. I was signed up and going to trade school right after that. Wow. So it was just like, you kind of, the, the path was already set for you and you're just like narrow-minded. This is what I'm going to do. Did you what ever- I'm doing, yeah. That's yeah. what I'm doing, yeah. Do you think that was did a your, strength? What was that? Did your dad have any sort of a, did he have no. anything to do with electrician or- Nothing. Like, That's yeah, the crazy part things of all Or it. fixing things or like, did you, so prior to that, did you fix- electrical things around the house or no, was so, he just so, like, so let me explain how, how we got there. So okay. I, I can explain how we got there. So pretty much imagine this. So you're a kid that is just taking everything apart and putting it back together. I, no matter what it was, I couldn't figure out what it was. Like 
whether it was Legos, whether it was the remote control, whether it was like appliances that we had around the house. I just liked taking things apart, figuring how they worked and putting them back together. And granted, I'd always thought I did a better job than the person who built it, but that's neither here nor there. Sometimes I left some screws out and whatnot, but we're not gonna, we're not gonna tell them about that. I'm sure there's appliances somewhere in my parents' house that are just holding on by like that much. <laughs> but um, I knew that I wasn't really cut out for, for like schooling. For some reason, I couldn't quite put my finger on it, but I knew that it wasn't for me. So my dad, I think, picked up on that as well. And I don't know if you can tell by my responses, we had a uh, very structured household. So when it was, I asked a suggestion, I was going to go with what he said. It was like, what do you think I should do? And his logic was, well, you're, you're good at fixing things and it's the cleanest trade you can be in and you can make good money if you do it well. So go for it. See what you can do. That's awesome. That's yeah. I, I figured there had to be a little something more to it there, but mm. uh, that makes sense with like taking things apart and putting them together. I actually, mm. as a kid, I, I did that from a very, very young age. Like I would get like power tools for Christmas. I got a bandsaw for my eighth Christmas. Wow. Like I thought it was amazing. Like I would build stuff and I would take everything apart. Um, you know, most of the time I would get it back together. Sometimes not so much, <laughs> but that's how you learn. Right. Mm -hmm. I agree. Yes, yeah, a lot of people learn best by just diving into things. Yeah, it's so true. Like deconstructing and then reconstructing. And Joe, I like how you mentioned the structure part because as we were talking a little bit earlier before we started recording, like that's a continuous theme really throughout your success mm -hmm. is, is following that structure. So I, I think it's also funny too. Some people would rebel growing up in a structured household. They say, "No, screw the structure. I'm out of here." but you found a way to thrive within structure. So let's, let's get into that a little bit about how you use that structure to, to create these incredible results when it comes to your close ratio and your, your sales numbers. I'd be happy to. So, you know, it's weird because I, what I want to talk to you guys about and why I like structure so much is just, it's not something that I've ever really talked about in this kind of setting so forgive me, it takes a little while to get it out, but pretty much the reason why I love structure, whether I realized it or not, is I'm an autistic person. Now, what that means is it presents very differently to a lot of different people on the spectrum. You know, there, there are some that are on one end and there's some that are on the other and there's a lot that are in between. I'm one of the in-between in that I can present very neurotypical, but I really don't do well outside of a structured environment. And the hardest part was that I didn't realize that. I didn't realize how much I needed the structure. But what I did learn was when there wasn't structure, I didn't do well in society. So growing up in that structured household, though there are definitely some detriments that came from it, um, it really did help. And it at least showed me what does work. So I learned to seek out structure. And everything I did had a calculated plan to say, like, if this happens, you do that. If this happens, you do this. And I kept kind of trying to build on that as if I was almost building a manual for daily operation in the back of my head, that when something would happen that I wasn't used to, I would just add it to the back of the note and say like, ah, yes, we're going to reference this for later. And I can go back to it. So what are your thoughts on that? <laughs> well, that's super interesting. I mean, I, you know, I, I don't know a whole lot um, about autism, you know, and, and, the, and the, the, the scale on it and stuff. But mm -hmm. I mean, I think that what, you, what you're doing, I would say naturally, 
right? Like mm -hmm. for naturally for you is something that is uh, extremely helpful for anybody to do, right? Like so oftentimes we get, um, we go down a path multiple times, right? Like, so in, in business, right? We do the same thing, a sales process, great example, because that's kind mm -hmm. of what we're talking about. And we, and we start to go down that path and we're like, okay, I'm going to do it this way. And then, oh, that person asked this question. So I'll do it this way a little bit. So we end up doing the same thing, but most of us don't actually kind of record what that path is. And so mm -hmm. we do it a little bit differently each time. And what I understand about that is we're using vital, basically brain and thought energy to recreate it every single time in a slightly different way. And we're becoming less and less efficient and less effective. So mm -hmm. what you did naturally has saved, you know, saved you a lot of heartache and headache where somebody like me, I, I, I did the opposite. Like I grew up and I like, I was like, I rebelled against everything. I was like, oh, I freaking hate process that I don't like to follow mm -hmm. it. Um, so I had to create different ways to live with that because if it was too structured, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do it. So I have mm -hmm. to create this like light structure where it's like a pathway, but I can move in between that pathway based mm -hmm. on these little nuances and skills. So I think that's just super cool that that's what you did. And I think people can take a lot from that because how many times do you do the same thing more than once, but we don't document it and we don't, like you said, kind of like add something onto the end of it and mm -hmm. learn from it and then get to reuse it. We, we, we end up spending our energy over and over and over kind of doing something separate without actually creating the system of what's working. Well, one thing that I found that I want to touch on that is granted heavy structure doesn't work for everyone. As an example from you, you probably would have ran from like the plague, but if I were to be immersed in your situation, I wouldn't do well with the lack of structure. So for me, I don't mind failing because I grew up with the thought process of that if you failed at something, it was because you did it wrong. So there's a level of accountability that comes with being who I am. And the overall lesson that I would take away that I think is applicable to anyone is there's no dishonor in failure. Where the real dishonor is, is if you failed and you took nothing away from it, and you're going to tell me that you fell, you hit rock bottom and you didn't even bounce, you just laid there. There's nothing, there's no comeback. That's, that's where a lot of people differ. And yeah. I, I do what I do because I needed to survive. I needed to find where I stood in the world and, and how, how I can impact it. How someone who feels so different than everyone else can impact the world and find its place. So the failure was a tool. And imagine, imagine you're blind and you need to go through a hallway. You put your arms out and you feel side to side and you're touching at the walls and you're trying to get to the end. You know that the end is in sight, but you don't know how far it is. So I don't care how many times I'll fall down that hallway, but I'll be damned if I stay there and cry. That's how I take it. That's how I tackle it life. That's awesome. I, I love that. I mean, so many of us, especially, you know, entrepreneur type mindset people, we, we forget sometimes to take failure as a positive, right? And as so long as we, we learn something from it, I think that's just such a, a valid point. And you alluded kind of to this a, a second ago, but you said this word before we actually hit record and I wrote it down and now I know why, because it came back right now, but you said taking, you take responsibility. And I think that that's something that tied with this acceptance of failure, choosing to learn from it 
and mm-hmm. always taking responsibility for you know yourself and it, this is how I interpret it. You can you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I right. interpret it as you know you took re- you always took responsibility for whatever that outcome is that you were having. And so if it wasn't what you desired, you accepted responsibility for it and then chose a different path and tried it again. Mm-hmm. And I think that's just such a valuable thing for all of us to hear and learn um, from because we forget that sometimes. Like it's easy to. Uh, to forget to take responsibility for stuff like you're right i mean and i really i'm honored that you'd say that um because it it is accurate but there's one other way that you could interpret what that is the word responsibility um my mentor who practically you know saved my life and taught me all the skills that i know he taught me something when i first met him and it really stuck with me all these years and it's the word responsibility and you can look at it and say responsibility is one word and that you can run with it and do what you want with it. Like, like you just did, but I took it differently. Responsibility is the ability to respond. It's the thought process saying when things happen to you, you now have the knowledge from your failures to respond properly. So if I go to a call and someone gives me an objection that I'm not prepared to handle, I'm going to fail. But I'm going to store it. And when that time comes, I'm going to be able to respond. I'm going to have the ability to respond to that situation. And at the end of the day, there's only two directions you can go. You can either choose to succeed and push through whatever is holding you back. Or you, you stop and you die. <laughs> That's unfortunately the only thing. I mean, a lot of, a lot of people like me don't, get to where we want to be because we don't have the ability to respond. And I'm hoping that by sharing my message, I can inspire other people that you can't judge us by how we look, but when you actually really get to know us and hopefully the people that are listening to this, maybe I can resonate. If I even have to just resonate with one of you, we can get through this if we learn how to respond. And then if we learn to grow and learn to push through these struggles, there is an immense amount of potential that we can unlock. What's your mindset around, um, like, when you, okay, so you failed at something, right? What's the internal dialogue that happens when, when you fail at something? Like, because I don't know about you, but if I'm not really, really focused, I'll, my mental dialogue is like, oh my gosh, like, come on, like, you messed this up, you messed this up, you're no good at that, like, there's no way around it, you're never going to get there, like, you know, how do you start, how do you deal with that type of mental dialogue um, when something like that shows up? Uh, the honest answer or the answer that you probably should hear? The honest answer <laughs> is with immense cruelty. What I mean by that is I, I mentioned and alluded to earlier, I truly believed that every single bad thing that had ever happened to me in my life was entirely my fault. And the thing is, is that, that, that that's not a healthy way of living. And I totally acknowledge that. But what did it give me? What did that curse or gift give me? It gave me the ability to say, okay, when I fail, what did you do to cause this? When you point at someone and say, you are the problem, there are three other fingers pointing right back at me. If I were to go and explain myself to someone who, if, I, if I went to my boss and I said, 
I didn't get this done or the customer didn't buy because the customer was too cheap because the customer did this because the customer did that. His response isn't going to be, oh, that customer sounds awful. He'll say something like, okay, so what did you do about it? And it's true. What did I do about it? Did I decide to pivot? Did I adjust? Did I grow? Did I flounder and learn from it? Like, what was it? So failure isn't necessarily failure. Failure is only failure when you take nothing back from it. Awesome, man. I love that one. That I think about that all the time, three fingers pointing back mm -hmm. um, to the point where I don't even, I don't even point at things anymore because, you know, just specifically for that, because I know if physically I'm doing it, then mentally I'm doing it as well. So I'm very conscious of that. Like, you'll never see me point at somebody when I talk. Like, I'll think like this sometimes, but never, never point at anybody. Because uh, I heard that, I don't know, years and years ago. And I just, I don't do that anymore. <laughs> I wish I had the ability of remembering where I've heard things. Because that would be pretty cool. Can you imagine being like, oh, yeah, I remember that. I learned that in the third grade. Mrs. Washington taught me this. And then it just stuck with me at recess one day. And here I am 30 years later. But nope, didn't work out that way. Well, I think it's also one of those things where it, you know, it takes a couple times to really resonate with you. Maybe it takes mm -hmm. a couple failures or recognizing in yourself, like, you know, my response to that wasn't the correct way to respond to that. It actually made the situation worse or it certainly didn't help. Um, mm -hmm. And then you reflect and you're like, okay, you want to improve yourself. So it kind of goes into that you know, constant state of improving yourself and, and, and recognizing the impact that you're making really on yourself, but also others. And at the end of the day, I mean, I probably, and I fully acknowledge this for the record, I truly do believe that I am very hard on myself and that I probably should be a little lighter. But I, what I've learned is that when you focus on how you can improve yourself and you first look at it and say, is there anything within me that is wrong? Is there anything within me that I could remove or add to or strengthen or train or fix before I look at fixing someone else? I grew up in a, um, in a very religious family and uh, part of scripture came up where it would say, you know, you're going to remove you're going to complain to your brother that he has a speck of wood in his eye when you have a full plank in yours. And you think to yourself, like, it kind of resonated with me because I thought to myself, like, okay, now what do I do? I'm going to complain that someone else, I'm going to complain that that customer was so cheap, but instead, why am I not saying what value am I bringing? Why am I so much better that they should use me? If I didn't communicate that value, then they're just being an educated purchaser. It's my mistake for not building the value. It's my mistake for not explaining why my company is so much more reliable and all the warranties and the services. Because if I did, because you can tell by the voice inflection, I truly believe that what we do is the best. But if I can't convince them, it doesn't matter how good of an electrician I am. It doesn't matter. At the end of the day, you cannot do amazing work if you cannot be an amazing salesperson. Because at the end of the day, your customers are going to only buy these purchases that you have the ability of creating value for. Once that cap is created, you'll struggle to overcome that. But by setting the cap high, anything that you get underneath that still counts as success. Kind of like a shoot for the moon, aim for the stars kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So this is interesting, Joe. I want to get your perspective on this. Because mm -hmm. a lot of owners, a lot of really successful owners will say, do quality work, focus on the customer first, and the sales will follow. 
and maybe I'm maybe I'm misinterpreting you, but you're kind mm -hmm. of saying, well, it's not that's not necessarily the case. You still okay. have to focus on sales. So what would be your response to, to that? So let's let's I'm going to pose a scenario for you. Let us say you are the absolute apex of your field, right? That someone like you is you're the best electrician that money could possibly buy. And that you know that your skills are going to be top notch and that you are going to be able to do phenomenal work. A lot of owners have the ability and the mindset that if I'm a good enough installer, my work should speak for myself. Okay. How did you get that job? How did you get in front of the customer to do the job? Were you volunteering? Were you just throwing it against a wall? Were you just doing community service work? Or were you getting paid to showcase your work? If you want to get paid to showcase your work, because I'm not saying that they're wrong, but the time frame in which it happens is much less. So if I were to say just by indirect exposure, someone's going to see my work, who might tell someone, who might tell someone, who might tell someone, or everyone that calls me, I have the ability to convey properly and with integrity that my work is going to be superior. And that if they choose not to use me, that's fine, but that I'm willing to guarantee my workmanship for life. Who are you more likely to use? The person that you heard about who was good from someone, from someone, from someone, from someone, or the person who can directly not only prove it, but convey it. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yes. It, yeah. It's totally definitely going to be that one. David, mm -hmm. I mean, we talk about this at WIT all the time. Mm -hmm. I think for, take that to a marketing perspective, right? Mm -hmm. From a marketing perspective, if you do the best possible work, you don't have to, you don't have to be tricky in your marketing, just like in sales, right? Mm -hmm. You don't have to be tricky, but you have to be clear on communicating with the customer on the right, uh, in the right places and showing kind of behind the curtain of that mm -hmm. amazing work, right? So how do you showcase that amazing work that's happening so that when somebody is looking for you, that they're more likely to find you? Same, what I'm hearing you say on the sales side of things, like mm -hmm. you have to be able to, uh, through consistency, right? Or system showcase mm -hmm. over and over all of that value that you do, that mm -hmm. you do have to offer that does make you the best, but not, you know, not the schemey, sales stuff, but you've got to do something. Yeah. You've got to do it intelligently and you got to do it correctly. Well, that, that's also one of the things you're touching on is something I feel is so important because there are so many salespeople or people who want to get into sales that are afraid of really taking it to the next level because they feel the only way to great success is through the, is on the backs of others or through the blood of others. That's not the case. That sneaky sales is like holding fire in your hand. Fire is a tool. You can do what you want with it, but it's short term. A strong breeze comes in, blows it out. It, even if you manage to keep it under wraps, what's it sitting on? You're going to burn yourself. But if you can operate from a standard of pure motives, where you say, I will always offer things with integrity, with honesty. Whenever I make a quote, it's going to be relevant to the customer. I'm not going to cut corners when it comes to quality. I'm going to be honest when it's not popular. Those are tenants that you have to accept into the core of your being. When I said that I want to be a salesperson and this is who I am, it's that this is literally ingrained into who I am. And everything that I do is now a direct result or correlates to that. So 
I just need, I got to stress to everyone who's listening, guys, you don't have to be sneaky to get top tier sales. You could be honest. You can be trustworthy. You can show integrity to where you can go and meet any little old lady in the middle of the street and know that you can keep your head up high because you didn't screw someone over. I think that's really important. So how do you, how do you teach? So, you know, let's say somebody listening, right? They have a couple salespeople and ultimately let's, let's operate under the assumption that they all have, you know, good core values match. They're, 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 they're decent people, right? Mm -hmm. Like hopefully they've already done a good job of hiring based on company core values and vision and all that stuff. Um, But, you know, even great people, like especially a younger or less experienced salesperson is they're under the gun, right? Like they've got to meet quotas. They have expectations to be selling a certain Mm -hmm. amount. So it seems to me like, well, in my experience, it's easy to sway a little bit here and there, especially if you're not getting amazing leadership, right? Which let's be honest, most, uh, most business owners, you're either, you're, you're good at sales because you're already doing these things naturally that you're talking about. And so you Mm -hmm. sell a lot, uh, but you don't, but it's hard to teach sales. Like uh, I'm a great sales, well, I'm a great closer because I'm just very honest Mm -hmm. and I relate to people. And so typically if somebody calls us and is, is an ideal client, like they're going to work with us because I'm just truthful, but Davis has seen it. I don't, I don't know how to teach that. I, I can't teach what I naturally do. So how do you start to teach a group of salespeople like through this path of integrity, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. assuming they already have some of it inside that mm-hmm. that's, that's conceptually hard for me. Well, let me and- just add, it also feels like it's a confidence game. You need that inherent confidence to be able to sell. Well, it's like a humble brag kind of approach, but nothing. No, I, I can see where it comes from. So I, I operate slightly on a different perspective, Davis, but I'm going to, I'm going to come full circle and answer both questions as far as that goes. Believe it or not, what you're talking about isn't salesmanship, it's charisma. You cannot teach charisma in that, that natural luminescence that someone has, that drive, that, that like, I want to talk to that guy. That's charisma. And you're right. That's not something that you can teach. You can heighten it. You can strengthen it. You can improve it. Like if I showed up today and I had my beard down to here and I wasn't wearing a collared shirt and I wasn't clean shaven, I'd look less presentable. I'd have less charisma. I may be a great speaker, but it wouldn't matter if people look at me and like, Ugh. so that's something that things can be done. You keep yourself, you know, professionally taken care of, but you can teach process. You can tell someone when you get to the door, this is something you do. When the customer opens a door, this is what you do. You can have your hands in a certain place. Like, I mean, I'm, I'm just going to do a quite microcosm of a situation, right? So, when I walk up to a customer's door, I've made sure before in the van, when I got out, my clothes were completely pressed, cleaned, that there wasn't a stain on anything. I did not have any visible tools whatsoever on me. All my tools were hidden on my person so that I didn't look like I was just some installer. I made sure that I was all meticulously groomed and taken care of. And I go to the door. I always had a smooth pace because I don't want to ever look like I'm rushing. By the time I get to the door, I ring the bell immediately smile because I know that there are ring cameras or cameras at some point, hands crossed one on top of the other directly in front of me. Now that's a process. What we did was we realized that when you get to the door, if someone is going to judge you within the first two seconds, 
let's make it a positive benefit. So if you were to see a professionally cleaned, well-groomed, happy to be there technician who looks like a service professional, that's good. Why were my hands in front of me? Well, studies have shown that when you see both hands and they're directly in front of you, you are mentally less likely to associate that person as a threat. So, I mean, I don't know if you can tell, I have a large build and sometimes it can come off as a little intimidating. So I learned that what can I do to seem less threatening? A nice full smile. I try to dial up as much warmth as I could and make it outwardly exude. And when I answered the door and I said, hello, I always made it as warm a greeting as I could. Now, would you say that's sales or would you say that's process? Because if you think that's sales, I can teach people to do that. I mean, that's literally what I do for a career. I teach salespeople how to be better at what they do. You can give me a zero and I will turn them into a two. Give me a two and I'll turn them into a four. Give me a four, I'll turn them into an eight. It's process and it's commitment to process that really allows people to grow. That's awesome. And this is one thing I picked up on that I have so much belief in. And this is how I heard you say it. Uh, basically is, you know, you said uh, some, you, I forget the word you use, but basically cultivate warmth, right? Like, you know, in, in warmth, yeah. internal game, right? Cause this is happening inside dialogue and then it's coming mm -hmm. from inside going outside. Mm -hmm. And I like to talk about it in the form of intention, right? Like know your intention very clearly. And so when you get out of the truck or when you're about to get on a phone call or you're about to go into a meeting, what's the intention inside your head? Because if the self-talk is, uh, you know, gosh, I, you know, I'd rather be at the bar drinking beer with my buddy because it's 5.30 or, you know, oh my gosh, like this house is run down. There's no way they're going to buy anything or, you know, whatever that internal thing is, uh, that's going to come out, right? That's going to come out. Like humans can perceive way more than just verbal mm -hmm. and, um, and physical cues. And so I think that that's so cool that you said that because I think it's so unbelievably important and I, I try, you know, I don't always do perfect at it, but I try every time before I have a meeting, um, before I talk to somebody, before I engage with somebody is take like five or 10 seconds and just set an intention of, hey, you know, my intention today coming on this podcast is to be completely present, to learn about somebody new and to share cool knowledge with other people that may, or, that may be interested in it. And that's mm -hmm. it. Like just very clear as opposed to, oh my gosh, I'm running late. Shoot. I didn't eat lunch. Like, okay, I got to do this thing real quick and then jump on a phone call and that's going to have a completely different presence. Um, and it's going to have a completely different resonance with the other, the other person. So I think that's super impactful and something that I want to make sure people hear that it's not just those little, all those little other things. It's like, what's going on up here as well as the things that are going on outside. Well, one thing, and I, I feel like you and I are playing ping pong going back and forth because you're <laughs> like, I heard you say, and now I'm going to say, well, I heard you say, so What's the intention when you go to the door? Why? I feel that your why we should needs to be bigger than their why we shouldn't. And at the end of the day, what I mean by that is you called me. I didn't go door to door. You called me because you wanted something in your service. But it, I have to show up convinced that you don't want what I have to offer. I don't come in saying I'm going to sell you. I come in saying, I am convinced that you will not buy from me and that you need to convince me that you will in order to keep me to stay. Every call starts off as a zero. 
not every call starts off as a 10. And only through the, I will bring my 10 every single time. And based on how you treat me will determine whether I even give you a price or not. You are not owed a price. You are not owed my business. What we do have is a fair and equitable exchange. I promise my best work and the best of my integrity in exchange for a fair value. So when I go up, believe it or not, one thing was I refused to go on commission when I ran my own business. Even though I was closing 80% of every call I went to, I didn't want commission because I thought if I were to make it about the money, the intention changes and the intention shifts. And I'm not trying to get into the whole metaphysical here, but people can sense that. If I sit down with you, and even if I just reveal it for a second, that I'm just trying to sell something, now I look like a monster. Because imagine someone coming and presenting as a friend and someone learning about my family and designing relevant solutions and spending, immersing with my family and like all these things and working in my home. But then I feel like he's just out to get my money. I'll actually feel worse and more distrustful of the person who's presenting as a friend than I would the scumbag who's showing up chewing a toothpick and flipping a nickel. I'll be like, all right, at least we know that guy. He's fit, fits, fits the description. Okay, cool. But me, no, no, that guy's even worse because you can't trust him. I don't want that. I want, I want to help you. If you want to call me, I will show up to help you. I expect to be paid for it, but I'm here to help because you asked for it. The moment you say, all you have to say is, I don't want you here. I don't want what you have to offer. And it's as simple as that. I can leave. I'm not going to stay and push you. So the commitment comes entirely from the customer. I'm only a conduit of it. That's cool. I've never heard it said that way. Well, thank you. Yeah, it's like you're flipping this whole idea on its head of like, you know, you have to be a salesperson. A lot of people think don't be a salesperson. Nobody likes a salesperson. You're like, well, no, that's who you are. Be a salesperson. You know what I mean? Like we, mm-hmm. we get all flustered in our own brains about this. Uh, and then we end up potentially sounding desperate or just sounding slimy when it's like, no, just say what you want, you know? Uh, so back to the intention I, thing. I struggle with that. And I didn't mean to interrupt you. I apologize if that was rude on my part. That was not my intention whatsoever. Once again, I guess that leads into who I am, right? I was going to talk about how being on the spectrum, I, I truly do not have a great ability of socializing with other people. Sometimes knowing when to interrupt and when not to is definitely an issue that I have. But when you say just, why don't you just say what you mean? That is so many people in my community are like that. We're like, why do you need to beat around the bush? You called me, right? Like you, you called me to your home to do this for you. And I'm happy, able, eager, and professionally able to do this in multiple different ways. I'm going to show you the choices. You're going to choose which one you want. I'm going to help walk you through that decision. But the moment you don't want me in your home, I can leave. Because at the end of the day, my shit works fine. Yours still has a problem. <laughs> so I'm here to help. I'm here to help. Let me help you. But if you don't want my help, I'll leave. I don't push. I love that, man. And you could apply this to literally selling anything too. Like you can apply it to life. Yep. Which is why I'm still alive, my friend, which is why I'm still alive. Dude. I love how you shared too, like very specific examples, like before the technician or the service salesman 
even steps in the door, you're like, these are the process points. So I can only imagine how far that process goes and all the little details um, from start it to finish. It is a lot. Yeah, it is a lot, <laughs> but that uh, that's actually pretty big in my community. And the, the thing is, is that we, some of, some of the slurs for people who are autistic are like robots because of a lot of us put process into things. And you say to yourselves like, okay, do this, then do this, then do this, then do this. But unfortunately you end up, you know, walking like a robot. And it's a shame in the fact that that's how it comes off. But when harnessed and directed, sometimes anything that could come across as a weakness can be transitioned into a strength. And isn't that just Darwinism? I mean, I could not have survived without process. So I learned and developed process. I met Joe Crisero, who's the founder of Service MVP, and he literally changed my life. Like, I, I don't know where I would be if I would be at this point without what he taught me. That's crazy, man. I, I, love, I love that somebody being on the spectrum is able to do something that, from what I understand, is not common for that, right? I mean, mm -hmm. sales, it's, you know, the ability to, a lot of us assume it's the ability to pick up on cues and the ability to pivot and turn mm -hmm. and like kind of almost not follow process sometimes. Mm -hmm. But I think something for people listening to pay attention to here is that sales can one, both be good, right? Good, healthy, um, respectable, uh, trustworthy, all of those things that sometimes we don't think about them as. Mm -hmm. And even the human connection part, the true human connection part can be systematized so that it can be replicated so mm -hmm. that it be, can be consistent. I mean, you know, you're closing 80% right? With an industry standard of 40%. And you have way more challenges than a lot of the salespeople out there, mm -hmm. right? They have, some could argue, they have some tools in their tool belt that if you had those, those would help you too. Now, granted, they don't have some of the other things that, uh, you know, as far as like process and that, but yeah. um, I just think it's cool that, I think it's important to, to notice in this conversation that you with the with the challenges that you have had have become something amazing in a field that would not be typical through process and systemization and something that's typically a lot more human focused so anybody listening that has sales teams like you can take somebody that is not you know great at reading a room and great at those kind of soft skills mm -hmm. and you can turn them into something amazing if they're able to follow process and if they actually care inside and they have good values and they, mm -hmm. they can cultivate those feelings of warmth. You can turn them into an amazing salesperson, you know, assuming they have drive and desire to do so. So one thing that, that really comes to mind, I think is a very good description was um, when I, part of what I did is I've been doing electric since I was 14, but one of those avenues was I worked as a robotics technician where I learned and constructed robots that would actually work in factories. So they'd be the ones that go and pick up equipment and they'd travel. And it was always interesting because people would say, well, a human picker is always going to be better. They're always going to be better. They can react and they can think. But one thing that the robots had was consistency. Yeah, there was a lot of things that they couldn't do 
Like if you spray tomato sauce at one of the sensor eyes, yeah, it couldn't see and it would lose track, but it would go by its nearest program. And it would say, if this happens, we do this. I'm going to limp back to home base, request a maintenance call, and then someone's going to come and clean it. Whereas a human would just wipe it off and move along their day because they can identify that's what it is. I identify more with the robot and say, okay, I am going to fail. I'm going to fail a lot, a lot. Oh my God, am I going to fail? But every time I fail, I'm going to learn from it. And then I'm going to be able to adjust. And then when those things happen, I'm not necessarily pivoting from a flexibility standpoint. I'm going by internal programming and saying, okay, this is what I'm going to do. If this happens, if a customer says this, I'll say this. Because the last time they said this, this is what they did. So I'm going to say this and let's see if they say something different. Okay, they did. All right, mark that down. And it's, it just builds and grows. So that 20% that eludes me probably would only buy from someone that could pivot. And that's fine. I have to understand that if you have three animals under a tree, a fish, a monkey, and a bird, and they're all judged by how well they can climb the tree, how well they can climb the tree, the fish is going to feel like an idiot. But you put that thing, put all three in water, and who's going to excel? I'm the fish. I can't climb trees. I cannot read rooms. I cannot understand people. It confuses the hell out of me. But you put me in my element and you allow me the ability to thrive in my own habitable conditions and I will produce. And that's something that I think that a lot of managers miss out on because I don't look the part, but I can back up the talk. So how many people are you leaving on the wayside? How many people are cleaning the parts in your showroom right now? How many people are running parts? How many people you have stuck on install that if you just give them the opportunity to really expel on their abilities, expand on their abilities, they could produce as if not more, if, if not better than I could. Just give them the tools. Stop telling them to climb the tree and throw the dude in some water. Let them swim. That makes sense. Like, is that an, is that an accurate analogy? Yeah, I, I think that's such a great um, point around leadership, right? Like, you know, now you're talking to the leaders of a company, mm -hmm. the owners, uh, which is you've got to pay attention to what each person needs, right? Like, mm -hmm. you can't run a company based on fitting. 15 people over here into that box and 20 into this box and just expecting everybody to operate the same. You've mm -hmm. got to take the time to notice and communicate with your teams. What do you need? What are your strengths? Um, you know, what are your weaknesses? What do you, what are your desires and, and, mm -hmm. and fit those people into uh, a role that, that they can shine at, but it might not be customary. Right. Or, or maybe they don't even know to ask, for a specific role. Like maybe you have somebody, like you said, maybe you got somebody running parts that ultimately could be one of your best salesperson because if you pay attention to it, every time he goes to the supply house and every time he goes and drops off the part at somebody's home to a technician, that technician is like, dude, you know, Derek is the nicest guy in the world. And when he's at the supply house, the supply house manager is like, dude, Derek is amazing. Like he's always chipper. He's always on time. He's always upbeat. He always seems mm -hmm. to care. Like as a leader, it's, it's our responsibility to pay attention to those little things and, and give and, and cultivate opportunities for those people. Cause I'm a firm believer that a majority of the people in, in your company, you know, anybody listening to this, a majority of the people in your company are amazing people. And if mm -hmm. they're not shining under you, it's your responsibility, right? 
And that's either mm-hmm. you need to put them into a different role or try a couple different things. Or mm-hmm. at, at the end of the day, sometimes you do need to part ways with them, but only so that they can find something that's even a better fit for them. But that's your mm-hmm. job as leadership to, to figure those things out and create those opportunities. I agree. You know, and if I have the ability, can I, can I focus on the leaders at this point? Because there's something I, there's <laughs> yeah. something I gotta say. Yeah. It's, a lot of times leaders and business owners love to pay for trainings so that they can say that I've trained my people, but they don't actually like to follow through with it. And the biggest issue that I see with that is why are you wasting your money? You know, I'm, I'm a sales trainer. I'm a success trainer. And yet I'm encouraging you guys to not do that. Why? What, what would the point of that be? Because if you truly believe that you're going to succeed, I don't mind you spending the money, but I'm going to hold you accountable to actually do what you're paying me to teach you. So as an example, let me give you, let me give you a quick synopsis of that. So let's say you pay X amount of dollars for a training session for someone. And you would say, wonderful. I have the best training in the world. Now you're going to go train them. But then they don't make accountability to it. They don't inspect what they expect. They just assume it's going to be perfect because they paid money. Well, what happens when they actually learn the information, but it's not what the leader thought it was going to be? Now, does he have to unlearn that? Does he get his money back? I don't think so. Instead, why not focus on having the leader graduate first? Have the leader lead Is he just a pencil pusher behind a desk who's trying to make financial calls or is he trying to inspire people? Is he on the chariot leading his way into battle? Is he a reference that someone can go to if they've got questions? I don't think so. Not often. And if they are, then they're great. Another thing would be you pay for all this training, but then the technicians don't use it. Why? Because they say, well, guys, I can't pay for training. The guys are running calls from eight to five And then I have them staying out from five to seven doing this. And they're here an hour early. And this guy drives an hour. Great. So question for you, how does he get to his calls? Do they just teleport? They just show up? No, they freaking drive. And we got this thing called radio where you can turn it on and people can give you information while you drive. So what I learned to do was I actually turned my service van into a university. I will not start my van. I, can't, I, I physically do not allow myself to turn on the keys unless I know what I'm going to be turning on at the same time. I have to make sure that my MP3 player is with me. Like I've had my wife beg me not to turn on sales tapes while we take family vacations. I know it sounds crazy, but it, it's happened. But the thing is, is that it takes 10,000 hours, 10,000 hours to master something, right? And yet, how many weeks is that? I'm gonna do some quick math here. Like, let's let's break this down here. So if you say 10,000 hours divided by an eight hour workday, that's 1,250 hours of continuous training that someone have to do to master something, right? Like 450 weeks of, of just nonstop training. No one has that kind of time to block out. But what they do have is the time between calls. So if every day you went to five calls and you only had 10 minutes between those calls, you did an hour a day. Just, just there, just an hour a day. 
What were you doing previously during those calls? You still had to be driving. It's not like you could be playing badminton. Like, what are you doing? You know, you're either having your cigarette or you're listening to the, listening to the news or you're bitching to your friend about how they never give you the good calls. And, you know, oh, it's awful. Yeah, no, they give all the good calls to Ricky. Yeah, they, he likes him. The boss likes him the most. No, Ricky would like you the most if you were able to produce and you cannot produce if you cannot train. And you're already in your van and you've already paid for the training. Like it, 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 it blows my mind. I can't figure it out. I genuinely can't figure out why people don't do this. So, yeah. I mean, you're going back to the, re almost like to the responsibility, right? Like, you know, take responsibility for yourself. What are mm -hmm. you doing with those 10 minutes? I mean, I, I, dude, I'm so with you. I, all I do is, I mean, outside of if my wife and kid are in the car, it's, mm -hmm. 95% of the time is always a book. Mm -hmm. Always. And, always and why not? Why yeah. not? You get to learn. Yep. Learning is one of those things that no matter how bad things get, you could have nothing in the world. You could be, we could go into an economic recession and a nuclear winter, and we've got nothing left except this. You take this with you, you know, and whenever you take, you can bring to another employer. Yep. You can say, how do I make myself recession proof? Be good at your job and be able to take it with you. I don't need an iPad. I don't need a slide. I don't need a sales book. Just put me in front of the customer. Let me go through my process or hire me. Let me train your people to do what I do. So you don't have to worry about that. Either way, as long as the techs are getting better, someone's going to sell a job. Is it going to be you or is it going to be me? Yeah. I don't know which one of us is better. And that's all that matters. If you're better than me, my goal needs to be better than you. If I'm better than you, your goal needs to be better than me. Not because you want to beat me, but that because that's the standard that you're supposed to operate at. That's yeah. at least my thought process. I, I love it, man. And, and I think, Davis, unless you have another question, I know we're kind of getting to the end of our time today. Uh, I was going to say, that's a perfect segue to why don't you share with listeners if they, if they're interested in, you know, finding out more about you, what you do, uh, having you and your team train, you know, come in and train their people based on all the really cool stuff that you've shared. Mm -hmm. um, give us a, give some information on where people can find you uh, if they want to learn a little bit more. All right. So just to touch base on that, and I'm, I want to go into a little bit of a description and review that. Um, so I work with Service MVP. What we are is we are a coaching division where we will take, I don't care how bad your person is, whether it's just one tech or an entire company, and we will train everything from the beginning to the top, meaning I will mentor your installers, your sales technicians, your comfort advisors. I'll mentor your office staff, your CSRs, your phone takers, your leadership, your accountants. Everyone will learn from us. Or you could dial it down to just one person at a time. We walk through process. You learn from us because I learned from the best and I would not be who I am if it wasn't for Joe Cressera. Um, What you could do is I am going to give everyone my direct personal number. Now, the reason why I'm doing that is once again, not, I do not work on commission. This is not so I can sell you. I'm giving you my personal number because I want to assume personal responsibility of if you call I need to know that it's not going to get dropped or missed or anything. I want to know that I'm here to help. And that's the number one goal. 
Um, that number is 805-369-1648. That's 805-369-1648. It's a call only number. So you're going to have to call me. Otherwise, you can always email, you can always email me at joseph at servicemvp.com. That's joseph at servicemvp.com. Email me by all means. I'm happy to work with you guys. And lastly, if you can see on my screen, this little, that thing there, um, I'm actually going to be a major speaker in a conference we're doing in Las Vegas, which I still know it blows my mind. I mean, the autistic person on stage talking in front of hundreds of people seems like a, a weird thing. <laughs> But um, we're actually, gonna, my goal is to teach about process. That's the highlight. So if you want to learn more about how I got to where I am, what inspired me and what worked when standard training options didn't, um, go to www.servicesalesummit.com. That's servicesalesummit.com. You'll see us there. You'll see everything you need to do. Just click on the link and it'll take you to where you got to go. Awesome, Joseph. Man, this was awesome. You are, you're an inspiration. Seriously. I got to kind of like sit back the last half of this and just absorb, absorb some of your knowledge here. So um, I want to thank you so much for coming on um, and sharing your story and being an inspiration to the neurodivergent community, but also just the industry at large um, and for being an incredible human. Uh, so folks, if you want to find more information on our podcast, uh, check out whatdelivers.com. You can join the discussion at our Facebook group at Home Service Success and Marketing. Um, and feel free to reach out to us at any time with any questions or any feedback. We're always here for you. So thanks so much for listening and have an awesome rest of your day. Thanks for listening to the Home Service Success Podcast. Now, a message from our sponsor. If you're ready to take your contracting business to the next level, you have to attend EGIA Contractor University's annual EPIC 2021 event, the most highly anticipated educational event of the year for the home services industry. EPIC 2021 will take place October 28th and 29th, at Paris Las Vegas on the iconic Las Vegas Strip. Featuring celebrity keynote presenters like Damon John of Shark Tank, John Taffer of Bar Rescue, and Captain Soli Solenberger, airline pilot from the Miracle on the Hudson. There will be breakout sessions delivered by legendary industry experts, access to best-in-class product and service providers, dynamic networking opportunities, and an unforgettable evening party. You can even come hang out with me at Media Row as I record the Home Service Success Podcast live. You can get $50 off registration with my code SUCCESS at epic2021event.com. That's coupon code SUCCESS at epic2021event.com. You won't want to miss it.